Join us at the Community Cats podcast on May 17th from 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Dr. Rachel Geller. She will be presenting her Surrender Prevention Workshop. As a surrender prevention specialist, your knowledge of cat behavior may be the difference between a cat losing her home and staying in her home. You will be able to get your certificate this season and take advantage of the interactive format, extensive handouts, and footage of actual techniques. Sign up today for a fee of $10 and become Surrender Prevention Certified. See you on May 17th. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we are speaking with Nancy Robeson. Nancy has been involved with rescuing animals all her life. She was a teacher for 35 years and was constantly teaching compassion for animals to her students. After she retired, she began volunteering at local animal shelters. And about four years ago, she began caring for a group of stray cats. It began with one tiny kitten that showed up on her doorstep during a bad rainstorm. And since starting to care for that kitten, she's acquired a group of 10 that she cared for and have had TNR done on them. And she's also found homes for about 10 other cats. She's still looking for homes for these 10 since she's become involved in two local TNR local groups that help people with TNR as well as working with a woman named Kathy Moore up in Ticonderoga. She's partnered with her. She also does fundraisers for all three groups, and she's written two children's books to help teach children about compassion for animals. So Nancy is here today, not only talking about the work that she does, but she's also going to share a bit about the work that Kathy Moore is doing in upstate New York. And correct me if I'm wrong, Nancy, you are in the Long Island area and Nancy is in upstate New York. Is that correct? I'm in one Long Island. Uh, yes. Kathy is in upstate New York. Uh, excellent. Sorry <laughs> about that. Yeah, hey, no big deal. <laughs> Kathy is in upstate New York. And then and we have Nancy here who is um, on Long Island. Nancy, first and foremost, if you can just let me know, how did you become passionate about cats? Okay, growing up, my grandparents lived with us. My grandfather was incredibly good with cats and he loved he loved animals and they all loved him but cats were his real passion and since they lived with us he kind of gave that passion to me and my mother also since obviously she was brought up by him and my grandmother she was always passionate about animals as well. So it kind of rubbed off on me. It was a little bit funny with my grandmother because my grandmother always said she was afraid of cats, but she always had cats. And one day I had said to her, Grandma, you're afraid of cats. How and her, her answer was, but these are our cats. Once my grandfather started taking care of them, she considered them our cat, so she wasn't afraid of them. So I've more or less always been with cats. I think to give you an idea, 
The first cat I ever was associated with, which my grandfather took in, used to sleep in my crib with me. So I don't think I've ever not <laughs> known what it was to have a cat. So growing up with cats and, and you know, your grandparents, I mean, the concept of spaying and neutering cats is relatively new in the whole scheme of things. Do you remember your grandparents or your mom at all having any interest in getting the cat spayed or neutered? Actually, that that's something that I have to say bothers me greatly because when I was growing up, spaying was not something that was done. And so our cats did unfortunately have litters. We were very lucky because we were always able to find homes for them. But now looking back on it, I say to myself, my God, we should have had them spayed. We should have had them neutered. But, you know, to reveal my age, 60 years ago, that just wasn't done. So my grandparents tried as much as possible to keep them inside so that they wouldn't get pregnant, but didn't always work. Yeah. No, I think it's fascinating. I mean, we didn't have cat litter till the 1950s. Spaying and neutering didn't really become standard in some places, not until the 70s or the 80s. I know in the, the 60s, my my mom had a cat that she got in 1961, and she did get her spayed because she thought it was a male cat. So she named the cat Duncan. And it turned out the cat was female and was spayed, but she always stayed Duncan and lived to be 20 years old and was a fantastic cat. But I was under the impression I was born in the late 60s, so I will give away my age here. I was always under the impression that everybody got their cat spayed or neutered. I just sort of innocently grew up in that environment thinking that way, which has really benefited me in the long run in terms of understanding the importance of every cat out there having the opportunity to get access to spay and neuter. Yes. Um, and before we started the recording, you were talking about how important uh, spay and neuter is I- in general. And so can you just share a little bit about your thoughts about what you think, you know, in order to help the cats in our community, what do we need to do with regards to spaying and neutering or trap, neuter, return, either topic? Okay. First of all, I applaud all the shelters that are insisting on spaying or neutering animals before they allow them to be adopted. I also am very happy that so many of them at this point are offering low-cost spay-neuter and even uh, free spay-neuter days. That, I think, is great. As far as the community goes, I think it is so important for people to become involved in trapping animals and bringing them in to be spayed or neutered. One of the things that I've been involved in doing is helping people find places that they can take a cat or well, a a cat that needs to be spayed or neutered, a community cat, a stray cat, and helping them find somebody to trap it for them, helping them to find a place to take it. In many cases, I've done the transporting myself 
you know, if somebody says I have somebody to trap it, but I have no place to take it or I have no means of transporting it, it'll be, okay, we'll put it in my car. It's in the trap. I'll take it over, you know. And the shelters are very good in the sense that they will do the spay or neuter, but they also good about evaluating the animal. And they will say, if it's friendly, we will put it up for adoption. If it's, I hate to use the word not friendly, because I don't think any animal is not friendly, given enough time to get used to people. But if they feel they can't find a home for it, then they will return it to its original place. I have to add that, and this is this is my own personal thing. I happen to believe that every animal will be friendly with the right person given enough time. I don't think that there's any animal that, you know, totally hates people and get away from me, but that's that's a personal bias. Well, and, I, and I'll and i say as someone who has adopted quite a few of semi-feral and feral cats, that it's not that they don't like you. It's that they are not, they don't want to be in your personal space. Put it that way. I I think that I had some incredibly special relationships with Shire kitties um, through conversation, through sounds, through actions. Uh, my my younger children had these great relationships with learning about patients and how to speak a different mm-hmm. type of language to be able to have a relationship with my semi-feral and feral cats. And I mean, I had one very feral cat who had fleas and needed to get advantage. And the only person she allowed get close to the cat was my younger son because she didn't feel threatened by him. Right. And, and I mean, not that he understood it other than to say that, you know, he believes he always had a special bond with that cat because of that ability you know, and yeah. she would sleep on his stuffed animals and, you know, that kind of thing. But yet not with him there, but she would sleep on his stuffed animals. Then when he came to sleep with them, she would leave. But yet so there was this bridge and a connection that's, that can happen with, you know, cats that are shyer. That That's exactly my point. Yeah. I don't think that there's any animal that doesn't want to be with a person, at least one person. It's just that it's on their terms. Right. And you have to be able to respect, okay, this one doesn't want me to approach him. I'm going to have to wait for him to come to me. Right. And it's it's community. I think a lot of these cats are looking for also. The yes. same cat that I was talking about, she got out of our house for a summer. She was out for about six or eight weeks. And she adopted herself or the family adopted her, a family of turkeys adopted her. So there was a mom turkey and then there was like eight babies and they'd go marching through my backyard. And then my cat, Kachina, was right at the back of the line and would go marching through the yard. And she was a terrible challenge to get trapped. Um, She actually, we wooed her back in the house. She had a buddy cat in the house who was much older and he was on his last days. And so she let herself come back into the house 
so she could be with him, right. you know, at the end of end of his life, which was wonderful. But she also loved being part of that turkey family. She was yes. having a grand old time. And they, so it's that community. I mean, it's just creating yeah. a sense of community like and, and being and, alone. No. And every cat has a different type of relationships and we do our best efforts you know it's right. we do the best possible job we can with placing um with placing our cats tell me a bit about how you were first introduced to tnr which is trap neuter and return how did you first find out about it well when this group of cats <laughs> came came into my being um i knew i didn't want them to have kittens I knew th their numbers would only grow. And at the time, I did not know about TNR at all. Um, but I was saying, okay, one way or another, I'm going to get them neutered and spayed. I did not know how to trap a cat. I had never had any experience with it. I started doing a lot of research on the internet. I started doing... Um, a lot of phone calls to places and emails and you name it. And I was having a very hard time. And then um, somebody gave me the name of a trapper. And I called the trapper and she came, she trapped them. She told me that she knew a place where they could be spayed and neutered. She took them out there and took care of it um at that time i wanted it done and so i basically said to her whatever it's going to cost me to have it done you know just after it's done and you bring them back give me the bill and you know i'll i'll pay for it and i did that but then after i did that i said to myself you know it's wonderful that I was able to do that, but I would bet there were people that don't have the money to pay a trapper and don't have the money to pay for spay and neuter. There has to be some way for people to help, even if they don't have those resources. So I, again, went, started doing research and I wound up compiling an entire list of places here on Long Island where there's low cost and free spay and neuter. There's low cost and free trappers. There are organizations that will come and trap for you and they don't charge at all. Or some of them will say, if you can, can you make a donation, you know, and so I said, you know what, let me come up with this list. And at least if somebody wants to help, they, they have a place to go. So I have this list of places and their addresses and their phone numbers. And I was doing it more frequently. Things have changed, so I can't do it as frequently. But I was going to the local Pet Supplies Plus, and I had a little information table where I had information on trappers that were free or low cost, spay neuter clinics that were free or no cost, TNR places. So that was 
that was that was my introduction to the whole thing. Well, that's fantastic. And I think it's really great that you were thinking holistically about, you know, all the different folks that are going to need assistance and how are they going to find this information? And some person might be able to trap, but the but not be able to afford the spay neuter. And another person might yep. be able to afford the spay neuter, but have no idea about trapping or don't have a car, don't, you know, lives in a one, one studio apartment. There's no place to hold the cat or whatever for recovery. So trying to think about what sort of resources are out there to help ensure that really no cat is left behind, really. That's, that's exactly it, because I've noticed there are so many people that want to help, but they don't know where to start. Exactly. And Long Island is wonderful. It has a lot of resources, but even on Long Island, the resources aren't all together. You have to find one place to help you with the trapping, another place to help you with the transport, another place to help you. And for some people, particularly senior citizens or people who are disabled or low income, it becomes very difficult for them to coordinate the whole thing. So my my feeling is if there's a way for them to, you know, get all the coordination done, it makes it more likely that they'll do it. And like I said, Long Island has a lot of resources, not all put together, which would be very nice if it was all put together, but... Um, but other places, upstate New York has very, very few places and very, very few resources. Alabama, Tennessee, same thing. They have lots of lots of animals that need help and people who would be willing to help, but no resources that are available. So I'm hoping that, you know, the more people know about what's needed, the more people will do to help. Cats of the Wild is the podcast for cat lovers who want to make a difference. Listen to inspiring and engaging stories of wildcat conservation and learning how you can help protect cats all over the world. Search for Cats of the Wild in your favorite podcast app now. Do you want to make things easier on yourself and the others in your organization? Our friends at Dubert have teamed up with the Dallas Pets Alive and Spay Neuter Network teams, and together they have created the Companion Case Management Module. It allows you to be more proactive with all your organization's needs, create cases for your clients, and organize them by type. Whether it is a rehoming situation, a pet parent needing food or medical assistance, or simply spay and neuter inquiries, CCM can help you manage all of them right from the Dubert system. Plus, a huge bonus, it allows you to connect with those clients right from the case so there is no need to open up new windows for emails or pull out your phone for text messages. Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum, come for an answer, stay for the community. So if you were 
working in a situation like upstate New York, and you said that, you know, there's limited resources, um, you know, in, in your world, how do you help that kind of a situation? You know, you're talking about individuals. Is that the time where we have, we do turn our passion for cats into action as an individual and we start saying, okay, we're gonna have to create more groups. We're going to have to start more nonprofits. We're going to have to do some more outreach. So we're going to have to really believe in the individual who can kind of rise up and create more opportunity. That's, that's exactly it. Kathy in upstate New York does a wonderful job because she does, she looks for fosters for cats, but she also fosters a lot of the cats herself. She finds places that will do low cost TNR and she'll pick up the cats and take them there herself. She, she and I work together whenever I find a place that would be willing to help out there. I send her names and addresses and, you know, whatever. Um, she does a lot of posting. Well, we both do a lot of posting. And she gets a lot of, I mean, this sounds silly, but she has a lot of people up there that donate cans and bottles for recycling that then she uses to pay for the, the, the neutering and spaying. But yes. We need we need more resources. We also need more individuals that will pick up the ball and do it. You know, you always come across people who see a stray animal and oh, that poor thing. I wish somebody would help it. And in my head, it's like, uh, hello, you're somebody. You know, don't don't say I wish somebody would help it. Go out and do it. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. I I. Um, back back in the 90s, when I first started in this in this crazy trap, neuter and turn world, <laughs> there was uh, I went to a bar in Seabrook, New Hampshire. They had called up and they said, you know, we've got a few kittens in our dumpster. Um, and I was running the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society at the time. And so I was like, OK, I'll come see a few kittens. Right. You know, and it, it turned out it was like 30 kittens in the dumpster and then and then the woods behind the dumpster i could see like another 50 like eyes looking at me 50 adult cats and then there was an apartment complex behind the bar and the cat kittens were in the dumpster with broken bottles of beer and blah 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 you know the things that you would see behind a bar potentially and I looked at that picture. That's one of those aha moments. I looked at that situation and I'm like, you know what? Uh-uh. We're not seeing this again. This is not going to happen again. We'll do what we need to do in order to make sure that this does not happen exactly. again. And I was not me alone, for sure. I was the one who saw it. But then we prioritized it and we ensured that everyone in that apartment complex had access to free spay-neuter services. So not only did the cats in the woods get TNR'd, but we also got, you know, we, we got the kittens in. They were put up for adoption. Every kitten lost at least one eye, unfortunately, so that they were all one-eyed kittens. Um, but all the adults got trapped. They got TNR'd and tipped. And then in the apartment complex, because we all know that cats start from within the home, you know, Adam and Eve, they're, they are in the yes. home. We want to make sure Adam and Eve that they get spayed and neutered too. So yes. multi-factored 
project lasted, you know, well into a year. And then we kept on with the apartment complex forever. We owned that relationship with helping folks. And um, but it's it's the only way to solve the problem. And I don't like calling it a problem, but we have cat overpopulation. And and what we are trying to do is provide resources to the community that are easy, accessible, and understandable so that they can get their cats spayed and neutered and provide a good quality of life for them. Yes. And that's that's one of the other things. Like Kathy upstate is taking care of two colonies and she makes sure that every cat in the colony is spayed or neutered. I know several people out here on Long Island that it's wonderful that they're taking care of colonies, but they don't always take into consideration that taking care of the colony is not enough. You have to spay and neuter every cat in the colony. Yep. And I, I keep every time I meet somebody who tells me they're taking care of a colony. I say to them, have you had them spayed and neutered? And that's that's usually when I come up, when I get people saying to me, well, I want to, but I don't know where to take them. Or I want to, but there's 20 cats in the colony and I can't afford to spay 20 cats. You know, and that that's where it becomes okay. He has a low-cost place. He has a free clinic. He has, because I, I really believe people do want to help, but they don't always know how or have the resources to. Um, something else that drives me crazy, and again, I know Kathy sees a lot more of it upstate than I do here, but even here it drives me crazy, People that decide that the cat is too much trouble or the food is too expensive or and they just let the cat go. And if the cat, first of all, if the cat survives at all, um, that cat, if it wasn't spayed or neutered, is just going to produce litter after litter after litter after litter. And yeah. it just makes the problem worse. Yeah. So it, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, again, I will harp back on my own personal experiences from running a shelter or cat shelter. And we initially were very limited about how many cats we could take in and how we could you know, handle the population and, and really focusing. We used to get calls from all over the state. I was handling the surrender calls. So I'd have, I'd have all these written down spreadsheets of information of different cats and different communities. Um, and what we did was we really scaled down our focus and we became what I was calling at that time, an open admission, no kill organization. So anybody who needed assistance with a cat in a certain service area of towns, regardless of anything, they could still um, have bring cats to us and we would right. no judgment. We would work with them. Now, in some cases, we would ask someone, someone was moving in a month, we would say, can you wait a couple of weeks so that we could have some space, right? But then there's urgent situations. So one Sunday morning, I show up and there's two dogs, six cats, three bunny rabbits and a gecko. I had never seen a gecko in my life. I learned what a gecko was. And this was my Sunday morning 
cat cleaning routine that I did. And then I did adoptions the rest of the day. And, you know, but then again, they were leaving those, you know, animals there at our facility. And then over time, though, as our spay neuter became much more aggressive in the owned community, those drop drop offs became much less frequent. Yes. And they they're not we they don't happen much at all anymore at our facility. And so it, it, it does take time, but it does work as when you get into offering services in the owned community. So, you know, making, cause a lot, maybe that person didn't want to have to do that with the cat, but maybe they were an abusive relationship and they had to go to a women's shelter for the abusive relationship, but they don't take pets. And so, you know, and they didn't want the cat, being you know abused abused right so they were thinking this is the i mean we don't know what the challenges are for for people um and what we want to try and do is just reduce any of those obstacles and reduce those challenges for folks but again it does involve planning resources communication time there's just a lot of of work that goes behind it an organization collaborating what you're doing, you're working together with other groups and other individuals. So you're leveraging those resources. That's why it's good for us not to operate in a silo. Do you feel some oh. of the folks that are doing TNR are operating sort of in a silo? No. The the people that I know who are involved in it all reach out to each other and to other groups and you know, everybody, everybody more or less tries i'm not i'm not going to say always successfully but tries to collaborate with each other to see you know we have an opening here you have an opening there um we have we have a cat that's ready now and your opening is in two days but we have so it's very much a collaborative effort and it needs to be i know one of the things that kathy's doing that I haven't seen, well, I shouldn't say I haven't seen the need for. I've seen many organizations here on the island that are doing it. But she's she's been um, kind of doing a pet food pantry up there because she found a lot of people up there wanted to keep their pets but just didn't have the resources. So she kind of said, okay, you know, if I can get supplies of pet food, to you, will you then be keeping your animal? And, you know, 99% of the time, the person is very grateful, you know, just, just, you know, just give me food for them till I get back on my feet. And I think that's a very important thing as a part of all of this, even for the people who are taking care of colonies. I know there was a woman way out on the east end of the island who had a colony she was caring for. And uh, she just one day ran into another friend of mine and said, I don't have any cat food for them. And I'm not going to be able to get any more until it was on a Friday until Monday. And this other friend of mine said, don't worry, I can I can give you enough to last you till Monday. So, you know, at least the colony didn't have to go hungry till Monday. It was, 
So that's why I'm saying there is a lot of collaboration, which is important. I think I think we need more of it. I don't think as as much as we have it, I, I think there's even more needed. And I have to say, again, this is from my own background. It's it's true of helping the animals and helping each other also. Yeah. You know? Yeah. For sure. Um, I'm also president of a group called Positive Pantry, which provides pet food for food shelves all through Vermont and Massachusetts. So and I I agree 100 percent, you know, with with what Kathy's doing. Um, I've seen some statistics where one out of three uh, families do feel some form of food insecurity um, and pet food is also something that if folks don't have enough money for their own food as well as their pet food, they're going to choose to buy the pet food over their own food. So it's one of those yeah. things where we want to just ensure that people don't have to worry about their pets and um, provide as much opportunity. So we have a, a significant coordinated effort all through the state of Massachusetts and into Vermont with regards to pet food, which has been really busy over the last couple of years, but very tremendous help, um, yeah, I think, yeah. for the shelters in, in that, in I, that kind I of thing. I think it's great to have that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nancy, you have mentioned that you have, uh, you have a book or two on Amazon. Okay. I have, I actually have three animal books on Amazon, two um, two are for children. One is for older children, maybe even adults. Um, the two that are for children on, are based on a cat that my mother had growing up. The first one's called Stubby, A Cat Story. And the second one is Stubby, Her Continuing Adventures. And it was when I was a very little girl, and my mother was still telling me bedtime stories. Every night she would tell me a story about Stubby. And, of course, now as a super grown-up, I decided I would take those stories and make them into books for children. But I elaborated on the stories. (laughs) So... Every book is intended to teach children about compassion for animals and taking care of animals and how much an animal can enrich your life and how much an animal's feelings are the same as a person's feelings. You know, they feel pain, they feel love, they feel sad, they feel happy. Um, So that was... That was the point of the stories. Um, I used to, when I was teaching, I had a a class of three and four-year-olds. And I used to, it was very important to me to teach them compassion for animals. So I used to tell them the stories about Stubby so that they would be exposed to the idea, yes, it's a cat, it's not a person, but... He's going to feel sad if you yell at him. He's going to feel happy if you tell him what a good boy he is. You know, that type of thing. Um, So that's what the stories were. And then I wrote a, the third book is, like I said, it's for older children because it deals with the 
dogs that I've had in my life and, again, tries to emphasize the idea that they feel all the emotions we feel, they love us, they care about us, they express compassion, and so on. And all of the proceeds from the sale of any of the books is going to go to animal charities. So these places that do the spay and neuter, these places that do the TNR, places that do food pantries, whatever, the money goes to them so that more animals can get helped. (laughs) Sounds fantastic. And thank you for taking the time to put those books together and, and get them published. Nancy, if there are folks that are interested in finding out more about the work that you're doing, Um, on Long Island and in New York, how would they reach out to you? Okay, we have a website called One at a Time Cat Rescue. So they can go to that website. Um, you You can either go to Google and put in One at a Time Cat Rescue, or you can go to Facebook and it's one of the Facebook groups that you can go to. Um, you can also do, um, one, one at a time, zero nine at at gmail.com that's another way to contact um us or you can go to me nan robeson at gmail.com excellent so three, three different ways to get in touch sounds good is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today i think one of the things that i would like to share, though your listeners probably already know this and believe this, is I think it is so, so, so important for children to be taught compassion for animals, a love of animals, an understanding that animals do have emotions just like us. And I think it's so important for kids to be taught that and for parents to saying it in words to kids doesn't do anything they have to actually say it um i had a very bad experience a few weeks ago where i saw two kids chasing a stray cat with a stick and i was totally appalled and probably shouldn't have, but I ran outside and I, I yelled at them. I said, who do you think you are? That's that's a living thing. You have no right to be chasing it and scaring it. And, you know, and and they looked at me and they said, but it's a cat. And in my head, it was like, didn't your parents ever teach you not not to do this type of thing? And I, I mean, I I think, I hope, I gave them enough of a talking to. I I went into my teacher mode, but <laughs> I think I gave them enough of a talking to that maybe they won't do it again. But in my heart, I felt like, why in the world didn't their parents ever teach them that you don't do this to an animal? I mean... I remember as a child being taught that, and this, yeah, I guess listeners could use to hear this, you never let an animal go hungry. 
if you can help it. It's just not done. Yep. My family was, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it meant that we all ate less for dinner. That animal was not going to go hungry. Yeah, right. It's important. It's very important for compassion person to person, as well as to animals. And, you know, I think that as our society has become more isolated, we have more challenges on both levels from that aspect. And um, I don't know what the path will look like for us over the next five, 10 years. Uh, I think we're all healing, recovering, but there's a lot of um, negative energy and anger yes. out there. And we need that anger. I mean, I feel like people sometimes are, are just finding something to be angry about rather than to appreciate the good that we have. And, you know, there are good things happening in this world, but I still do. I, I'm with you on the fact that we need to lead by example, adults, children, other children. There was a scenario uh, where a, um, a girl threw a kitten down the stairs and then a boy picked up the kitten and brought it to one of the trappers in that complex because they were out feeding the colony. And he said, you know, this, this kitten is hurt. I want, can you help it? And they said, thank you so much for, you know, for bringing the kitten to me. And, and he's, you know, he said, I know what she did was wrong. And I, and I know that we can do more to help these kittens and you're, you're the kitten fixers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so he knew by the fact that we were there in the community, meaning the generic we, he became part of that kitten fixing community. So there was another one brought in and that's where we need it to become like this disease that's contagious where we all know how to be kitten fixers. Yes, we need to we need to make helping contagious. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I agree with you 100% on that one. Wow. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you again so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show today and having this wonderful, somewhat deep, but very wonderful conversation. And I want to thank you, especially for the work that you've done for the cats on Long Island, as well as helping your friend up in the northern part of New York. Um, So thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you for turning your passion for cats into action. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for everything that you're doing. I didn't know all that was going on up in Massachusetts. So it's good to know. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.